0: Good Morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 3. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your order of worship. You can follow along there. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 3, 13 to 17, as we continue working through the book of Matthew this year. And uh, in this passage, we see Matthew start to describe Jesus as an adult and his ministry. And um, basically by describing his encounter with John the Baptist. And uh, as Jesus often does, he, and, and as he does throughout the rest of his ministry, he surprises everybody by how he uh, proceeds here. Um, so listen to God's words. I read from Matthew three thirteen to 17. Just to remind you, last week we looked at, uh, at John the Baptist, how he was really kind of hyping everybody up for the coming of Jesus. You know, he was saying, yeah, I'm, I baptize with water, but somebody's coming who is way more powerful Than I am. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize with fire. So people were prepared to see this one who is going to be so incredibly powerful and mighty and great. Listen to God's word as I read. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning as we look at your word. We pray that you would open our eyes, you open our hearts. We pray that your spirit would descend upon each and every one of us, that we might see Jesus more clearly, and that we might understand ourselves more clearly in light of who he is and what he has done, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, righteousness seems to be a very big deal to Matthew, um, if you read through all the, all the Gospels, you have Matthew and then you have Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew refers to righteous or righteousness 18 times he uses that word, whereas the other three Gospels all combined use it 12 times. So righteousness seems to be a big deal to Matthew. In just the next couple chapters, you're going to hear Matthew quote, quote Jesus, where Jesus says, you know, unless your righteousness is greater than that of the, of the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Matthew is constantly talking about righteousness in a way that the other gospel writers aren't. And we hear that word, we see that word in the Bible, we hear that word maybe spoken in church, but I'm not sure how many of us really understand what righteousness is. What is righteousness? What is it that we're supposed to be seeking? What is it that we need? And uh, I'll, start, about, I'll start, start this way. When I was in college, a bunch of you guys probably know that I was a music major and my instrument that I was focused on was the pipe organ. So I took pipe organ lessons, I practiced the pipe organ like four, five, six hours a day for two to three years when I was in college. And I would basically you know, just work on three, four songs throughout the entire semester. And then, then at the end of the semester, it would be extremely stressful because I'd have a final exam for the pipe organ, which meant I would, I would go to this huge church downtown in the, the, the town where I went to school, and I would sit at this big, you know this, this pipe organ that has these you know, different levels of keyboards and the, and the pedals and everything, and I would sit there with my back to the, to the, the rest of the church, and the, all these pews, they would be empty except for my professor and two other experts, two other pipe organ experts, and they would sit there with a pen and a piece of paper, or a notebook, and they would just be listening intently for every single little mistake that I made, or failure that I had. Just, and I would, I would just sit up there, just like my hands would be quivering as I got ready to play. And it was just so, so stressful to be sitting there judged by these people. Um, or I, I don't know how many of you guys like the Olympics, but the Olympics are coming up, right, in the next couple of weeks, the Winter Olympics. And uh, in the Olympics, you know, sometimes... Medals are decided by who is the fastest or who can jump the furthest or whatever, but, but a lot of times, medals are decided. Who wins is decided by judges. People judge people, whether it's in like figure skating or ice dancing or you know, different kind of skiing events or snowboarding. You know, when they do the half pipe, they, they get judged on how their form is, you know, if they fulfill requirements or if they make mistakes, so they're being judged. And, you know, as I watch these things and I listen to the announcers, I, I start to, you know, mimic all the things they're saying, you know, like, oh, they, that guy really under-rotated that thing. That's going to cost him a lot, you know. <laughs> or, you know, wh- it wasn't his pinky supposed to be extended more when he did that 1160? I'm not sure. <laughs> but I don't really have any clue what I'm talking about, you know. Um, only the judges really know what they're doing, and I have no clue how they get the scores. But, I mean, that's, that's kind of gives us a sense of what righteousness is about. Righteousness has to do with judgment. It has to do with being judged. It has to do with fulfilling requirements. It has to do with avoiding mistakes. Righteousness has to do with all of those things as, as, as we live our lives as human beings. That's what righteousness is. To, to be righteous is to have God evaluate your life and, and to be perfectly righteous is to have God give you a perfect score for your actions, for your words, for the things that you say to people, for the things that you say about people when they're not around, for your attitude, having a perfect score for your attitude, or even your emotions, the way you respond to things. That is what righteousness is. It's to have God evaluate your life and give you a perfect score. And as you read here, this passage, one of, the things, one of the things this passage is definitely about is about righteousness, right? Jesus says, when, when he interacts with John, what does he say to John? He says, let it be, for, be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. If anything else, this passage teaches us some things about righteousness. And so what I want to do this morning is just look at a few things that this passage teaches us. About righteousness, about what Jesus teaches us about righteousness, Um, and the first thing I think we learn as we look at Jesus is we learn about the priority of righteousness in His life and the priority of righteousness for us. So, as I mentioned, John has just mentioned the coming of the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit with fire. He's mentioned this—the coming of the one, the the, the one who is great, the one who would come and save the people from their sins. We learned earlier in Matthew, in Matthew two, right when the angel shows up to. to to Joseph, he says, this child is going to save his people from their sins. So we know that the one who is coming, the one who is about to come on the scene, Jesus is the one who is going to, he has this mission to save people, to pour out his power upon people, to rescue people. So he has this incredible mission, right? And if it was me, this shows you how unique Jesus is, if it was me and I was aware of this mission that I had to accomplish, to save the world, to demonstrate the power of God, what I would want to do is try to, try to promote myself as much as possible, try to get as, as much attention for myself as much as possible so I could have the greatest impact. How can I have the greatest impact on the most people here? But what does Jesus do when he comes on the scene? The very first thing he does, what is the thing that is most on his mind, at the front of his mind? It's righteousness. It's fulfilling righteousness. It's, it's obeying God. That's what he's most concerned about here. He's not concerned about showing up and making sure John you know, uh, highlights how great he is. In humility, he, he comes to John and he says, I need you to baptize me because that's, gonna, that's, that's, what, that's what I understand being obedient to God is about. I need you to do this simple thing, this small thing, this thing that, that doesn't, that's not gonna demand a bunch of attention from everybody. Righteousness was the most important thing to Jesus. Even in the midst of this incredible calling upon his life, Righteousness was the most important thing. Obedience to God, simple obedience to God was the most important thing. I think, you know, we all have a great many priorities in our lives. All of us have a bunch of things that are kind of like vying for our attention. Um, For many of us, it's hard not to make ourselves the priority. You know, the things that we want to make us happy, Um, the things that we feel like we need to do to solve the problems in our lives, those are priorities for us. Um, our own comfort, uh, other people's attention, or our own success. For a lot of us, our priority is the people around us that we love. We want to make sure that they're okay, like, so that the greatest priority in our life is, is to try to solve the problems of the people around us. For a lot of us, the great priorities of our lives are just to, like, as I said, to be successful, to, to do well at the things that, that, that you know, I have to do at, at, at my work. Or to have kind of a successful family life, things like that. But I think what one small thing that this passage shows us about how the first thing on Jesus' mind, the greatest priority for him, is to simply obey God. In a very simple thing. Shows us that the greatest priority for each and every one of us should be at any moment how can I obey you God? How can I seek righteousness in this moment? how can i obey you in the way that i'm 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 treating the people around me how can i seek righteousness and obey you in the things that are coming out of my mouth um internally you know the stuff that nobody else sees is going on inside of me i, I doubt that many of us think about what righteousness looks like inside of my inside of us our attitude you know our desires our hopes and dreams You know, our lives are full of a million little moments. And I think one of the things this points us to is that we we need to seek in all of those little moments, how can I seek righteousness? In just simple, small ways that maybe nobody else is even gonna notice, right? So that's the first thing I think we learn about the priority of righteousness, that it's it's the the thing that that God calls us to pursue. Um, What strikes me most, though, in this passage, the thing that stands out to me most is the reward of righteousness, the reward, the reward of righteousness. As Jesus is baptized, some things, some things happen in response to Jesus's pursuit of righteousness, right? Some incredible things, some supernatural things happen, right? Starting in verse 16. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately, immediately he went up from the water and behold, behold. That's the, Matthew puts that word behold in there twice down here. He says, look pay attention look at this amazing thing that has happened he says behold the heavens were opened to him I have no idea what that looked like the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him the heavens were opened. what did that look like I am not sure But I have a feeling, what what does that communicate about what is happening? As Jesus has pursued righteousness, as he pursues obedience to God, what happens is the heavens open up. It's a picture of the fact that that Jesus is experiencing a direct connection to the Father. A direct connection, a, a direct, clear communication from the Father, of God's assurance, of the Father's assurance, of the Father's power, of the Father's presence. There are, as the heavens open up, there are no barriers between Jesus and the Father. There's nothing obstructing him from his Father. Absolutely nothing. As we live for the past couple years in, this, in this, uh, these days of COVID, I know that every single one of us have probably experienced this. When you go to any store, right, and you go to the counter, the cash register, and you're getting ready to pay, what are you confronted with there? Plexiglass, right? Some stores are more elaborate than others, you know, like the, 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 uh, when we go to get Chinese food, there's this, like this giant wall of like plexiglass and like saran wrap and everything. It's just like there. You're very aware that there is a barrier between you and the people behind the counter to keep everybody safe and everything, right? Um, no matter where we go, we're reminded of this, these, there's these barriers between us and the people. And for me, it's frustrating because, as, you, as a lot of guys know, I have trouble hearing now out of my, out of my right ear. And so like with masks, masks on and this plexiglass, I'm just like, what are you saying to me? Like I'm pressing my ear up against the plexiglass. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating because it, I'm just reminded of this struggle to relate, right? Jesus has no struggle to relate to the Father. As the heavens are opened, as Jesus lives his life, he lives his life with this constant, intimate awareness of the presence of God, of the power of God in his life that is working in him, that is available to him. So the heavens are opened, and then this other thing happens in verse 17, and behold, a voice There's actually an audible voice that Jesus hears, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. I couldn't be more pleased with him God the Father delights in his son, Jesus. And Jesus, as he hears that, he's given this, you know, can you imagine what that is? I mean, Jesus was sinless as he lived his entire life. But even, there, there may be, I can imagine there were maybe, as he was growing up, some questions in his mind about what the call that God had placed upon his life was going to look like, you know? Maybe some, some kind of sinless uncertainty at times with his humanity. And yet what he has here is this this loud, clear assurance, this confirmation. Jesus, I am with you. You are my son. I am happy with you. He has this this confirmation, this assurance as as he's getting ready to embark on his ministry, on this mission that God has called him to, that God the Father has called him to, right? But I think Matthew includes this section here. One of the main reasons he includes this section here, I, I mentioned before that Matthew is primarily writing to a Jewish audience, right? So over and over again in Matthew, we will see, hear him saying, this is how these things in the Old Testament were fulfilled. This is how these prophecies were fulfilled, right? And so this Jesus, Matthew is constantly pointing out, this Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. This Jesus is the one that he, God the Father has promised you who would come and who would rescue you who would give light and who would, who would rule and bring justice and life to all those who, who trust in him. And so I think Matthew was doing that again here. You realize, I don't know how many of you guys were paying attention or made a little bit of a connection, but the, the passage that we read earlier in the, in the service, Isaiah 42, that's known as one of the servant songs in Isaiah. There's four different servant songs in Isaiah. We, I preached through them a couple years ago at Christmas. And um, these, these servant songs in Isaiah are prophecies about the servant, the chosen servant of God who would come and who would bring light to God's people and who would rule over the nations and would, would, would rule with justice and would bring peace. And he would even bring, as Isaiah 53 puts it, the last servant song, he would bring righteousness to the people. The one who is righteous would make many righteous. It's Isaiah fifty three eleven. And so at the very beginning of Isaiah 42, it talks about here is my chosen servant, the one in whom I delight, right? The one on whom my spirit rests, right? And that is what we see here. God saying, this is my son, the one in whom I delight. I'm in well pleased in, in him and the spirit is descending upon him like a dove. This, in the, in the mind of a Jewish person reading this who knows the Old Testament well, they would be like, that sounds a lot like Isaiah 42. That's who... God was talking about. That's who Isaiah was talking about. This is who Isaiah is talking about. But as I I said, you can imagine what this would have also done for Jesus. To give him confidence as he moved forward in his ministry, knowing that God was with him. That God delighted in him. He He would have moved forward feeling like he could do no wrong. And so we see here the priority of righteousness. We see the reward of righteousness. And lastly, I think the most surprising thing that I see from this passage is what this passage teaches us about the path to righteousness. The path for us. How do we become righteous? I think this passage teaches us something about that. What we see here, first, Jesus is demonstrating his righteousness, right? As he, uh, he says, I have to fulfill all righteousness. As he, as he goes and he's baptized by John, he, somehow he's listening to the voice of God, he's obeying God, and he's doing what God wants him to do, so he's fulfilling righteousness here. But I think this, this, this is significant because it shows us how he gives righteousness to his people. So think about it. For a person who's reading this for the first time, many of us have read this before and we know what's happening, we're expecting what's coming, but for a person who's reading this the first time, remember, the passage before this, John is talking about this incredibly powerful man who is coming, the one that he's not even worthy to hold his sandals, right? The one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This guy who's coming is going to be powerful. He's going to be larger than life, as he comes, when you get the sense from John, we, our response to this person who's coming should be that we should be bowing down before him, right? And then what does Jesus do when he comes? This is, this is what's crazy. It's, it's surprising, it's shocking what he does. He says, John, instead of me demonstrating the power of God, I need you to baptize me. And, and you see, that, that's, that's surprising, it's shocking. Even for John, he's like, no, 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 no. I shouldn't be baptizing you, Jesus. You should be baptizing me. You're the one with the power. You're the one that needs to be be doing something, not having something done to you. I need you to demonstrate your power, and I need you to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, no. You need to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? Why does Jesus insist on being baptized? I think the reason that Jesus insists on being baptized is because, as I said before, his mission, as Matthew has made it clear, the mission of Jesus is to come and save his people, to come and give life to people, to come and rescue sinners. The way that Jesus is going to do this is not by an overt demonstration of power and force, but instead by humbly identifying himself with the sinners he's come to save. And that is what he does when he's baptized. He he shouldn't have to be baptized because this baptism of John is a baptism that, that represents repentance of the people who are being baptized, right? Jesus doesn't need to repent. He's never sinned. He has nothing to repent of, right? And yet he voluntarily is baptized in order to identify himself with the people he's going to save. I mean, that is how he's going to save us, not with a demonstration of force and power, not not by doing something, but but by allowing something to be done to him. Ultimately, that is what happens at the end of his earthly life when he is killed on a cross. That is how he saves us, by allowing something to be done to him. And the way that he saves us is is by not just identifying with us, but by doing all the things that we are incapable of doing. He fulfills righteousness for us. The reason he's baptized is so so that he can become an appropriate and perfect substitute for us. You realize that that not only does Jesus save us by dying on the cross to pay for our sins, but he saves us by living a life of perfect obedience and righteousness. That's what he, 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 he offers to give us, not just forgiveness for our sin, but he offers to give us credit for his righteousness to be a substitute for us, to trade places with us. That is the path to righteousness for us. It's not to just say, Jesus, I need you to just pour out your power upon me to change my life. It's to to allow Jesus to come near me, to identify with me, and to die in my place. To live in my place and to die in my place. If we will receive Jesus as our substitute, then not only do we we have righteousness, that's the only way we can get righteousness. You realize that? Because none of us can get righteousness on our own. As I mentioned before, to be righteous, to be perfectly righteous is to have God look at every aspect of your life and to give you a perfect score. Is anybody ready to to try to do that this morning? The only way we can receive righteousness is by being given it from someone who has done it for us, who has earned it, for us. And so if we receive Jesus as our substitute, as the one who has lived the perfect life that we can't live, and the one who has died the the death that we deserve, then we not only receive the righteousness of God, but we also receive the reward for that righteousness. We receive the reward for that righteousness. The reward that I was just talking about. The reward that, that we see here. This incredible moment when the heavens are opened and Jesus has this direct connection to God with no barriers. That is what he offers each and every one of us. To, the, the opportunity to live life under an open heaven. And we're gonna struggle to really understand what that means. But that's the calling of a Christian. That's that's the, the, the journey of the Christian life is to learn what that means to live life all the day in and day out stuff that I deal with, the struggles, the challenges, to live life knowing that heaven has been opened by Jesus and that God is directly available to me. To know that his love is available to me, to know that his presence is available to me, to know that his power is available to me, no matter what I'm facing or dealing with. We get to learn, th- to, learn to live life with an open heaven, under an open heaven. We get to learn to live life hearing God say, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased, you are my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased, I'm delighted in you. I couldn't be more happy, I couldn't be more satisfied with you. Every morning when you wake up, to remember that God is excited to live this day with you. To go to bed every night, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how hard that day has been, to know that, that God looks at you and says, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier to have no barriers between us and him, no barriers of sin, no barriers of shame, no barriers of guilt, no barriers of of unworthiness. Jesus makes us worthy. He makes us righteous. We simply need to receive it. That is it. When you are certain of, of the fact that heaven has been opened, when you are certain of God's assurance, his his delight in you, what does that do for you? That enables you to live your life with a radical confidence. A radical confidence. No matter what anybody says about you, no matter how much you mess up, no matter how horribly you handle something, you're able to live life with a radical confidence. That God delights in you, that God is with you no matter what when you face things that are overwhelming and you're like, I don't know how we're gonna deal with this. I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. It enables you to live with a radical confidence knowing that the God of all creation is with you. He's with you. For those of you guys who are football fans, you know the football playoffs are going on right now. and. Uh, you know that, uh, even if you're not a football fan, you, know, you probably know that when you win the Super Bowl, one of the things you do is you get a Super Bowl ring, right? And if, that, if you've seen the Super Bowl rings, they're, they're like extra, you know? They're, they're like out of control, big, massive, with all of these diamonds on them and everything like that. They're like, I know football players are big guys, but even so, those rings on those guys look massive, right? So to a, for a regular person, that ring just like is gigantic, it's huge, it's audacious, you know, and so for a regular person to wear that ring, you know, it would, it would, uh, you know, earn the attention of everybody around them, you know. Um, To wear a Super Bowl ring, people recognize it as a Super Bowl ring really easily, and so when you're wearing a Super Bowl ring, I imagine, I've never worn one, but I imagine it, it enables you to, to like, kind of live your life with a certain amount of confidence, a certain amount of swagger, if you will. Um, well, a couple of years ago at uh, soccer camp, I, I, don't, I don't know how many of you were there for it. Uh, probably a few of you were there for it. I might have mentioned this story before, but uh, at our soccer camp that we do, uh, we had the chaplain for the New York Giants come um, and speak. And this is a guy who was the chaplain for the Giants. He would pray with a lot of the players and build relationships with them and, and just you know just serve them and care for them. He was, he was a chaplain for the team when the, when the Giants won the, the Super Bowl bunch of years ago and so the amazing thing is, is as he's talking about how he got to you know interact with the players and and uh, all the things that he used to do um, and he talked about the, the Giants winning the Super Bowl he like reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a Super Bowl ring and everybody's like wow I mean you could like you know you don't you can see a Super Bowl ring from pretty far away you know everybody recognizes it so that's a Super Bowl ring and the cool thing is that that he owns a Super Bowl ring he can wear a Super Bowl ring The chaplain never once stepped foot on the field. A lot of people could say he does not deserve a Super Bowl ring. He didn't get hit by anybody. He didn't catch a touchdown pass. You know, he didn't block anybody. He didn't, you know, he didn't kick a ball. He didn't even stand on the sideline with pads on. And yet, he won one. He can wear one. And and it's because the players on the field won it for him. In a sense, the players on the field won uh, football righteousness. In a sense, and gave it to him. And so he can wear that ring and 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 kind of walk with a certain confidence. You know, I'm a Super Bowl champion. And that's the question for us. You know, um, are we go- are we going to put on the ring? that Jesus has won for us and wear it and live with that kind of confidence as we face the stuff that we face in our lives? Are we gonna put on that ring and live with that kind of confidence knowing that God, living in light of God's delight, will we put on the ring and receive the righteousness of Jesus? That's the question for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, this God-man who is so unique, this man who could have come and just said, hey, everybody, just bow down to me. Hey, everybody, look how great and powerful I am. And yet he comes and he humbly allows himself to be baptized and identified with all of these sinners, all of these unrighteous people. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to become unrighteous so that we might receive your righteousness. Father, help us to live our lives in light of the perfect score that you offer us. And Father, we pray that that would change us that that would change us in radical ways. Father, we pray, it's so hard to understand what this really means, but we pray that you would even today begin to teach each of us what it means to live under a heaven that has been opened. To live in light of a spirit who is real. Father, we pray that you would truly overwhelm us with your presence.